You are listening to A Taste of Romamu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romamu, please visit romamu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. I'm so happy to be back here with all of you. Back with all of you here in this incredible community. And now I speak for Ariel. When I say thank you, for all of you who reached out to us when we were in Israel to find out if we were okay, for all of you who reached out just to check in and see that things were going, how they were going, how can you know? From here, everything looks much worse than it really feels like on the ground. But for all of you who took the time to reach out, I'm really thankful. I know that we were buoyed by your words and by your thoughts. By the time we left for Jerusalem in the end of June, we knew full well that we were walking into a very tense situation. The region was exploding all around us. And in the first week that we arrived, Naftali, Ayal, and Gilad were found murdered. Mahabund ibn Qadr, the Palestinian youth, was murdered in an apparent revenge killing. And then the first week in Israel ended with the passing of my beloved Rebbe, Rabbi Zalman Shakti Shalomi, I love a shalom. That first week was extremely painful for me personally. I was away from all of you, from this community that we've built together over the last eight years. Each of you is a stone in my temple. And for me, not being able to share in, in what it meant to lose my mentor, the inspiration for this community in this synagogue was very painful. It felt to me that having come to Israel to recover and recharge my battery after having had a very long and taxing year, I wanted to be nowhere but here. And yet, there we were. There we were in Jerusalem, in that land full of pain and loss, heartache. I was with a group of Reb Zalman's students who happened to live in Israel and some of whom happened to be traveling in Israel. And we decided to sit Shiva ceremoniously, kind of a, a symbolic day of Shiva, of mourning for our Rebbe. And what turned into a day of comforting and being comforted that amazing day of Shiva, Monday, July, I think it was July um, 7th, my father's birthday. On my father's birthday, I stood, and what was born on that, in that Shiva, in that comforting day, was a double comforting, a double nechemta. Because there, that day, as I sang the verses from Kings describing 
Elijah going up in a chariot to heaven and Elisha, his pupil, his disciple, standing on the ground screaming, Avi, Avi, Rechev Yisrael Ufarashav, my father, my father, and did Kriya, tearing my shirt for the first time in my life. One of those who was there said, wouldn't it honor Reb Zalman's memory if on this day of remembering him and mourning for his loss, we decided to go to East Jerusalem and to pay a shiva call to the home of that Palestinian youth who had been murdered. And it sat in the air the whole day. Someone who works in East Jerusalem in Shuafat, who was making behind the scenes phone calls, we were working for hours, she was, to try to get us in to see the family, to see if it was safe, to see if, the, if the, the rage on the street that was so palpable had died down slightly. How could we get to Shuafat? And at the end of the day, we did. Three cars of Reb Zalman students, mourners, all of us. We piled into those cars and drove to East Jerusalem, and I was scared. I was scared. I called Ariel and I said, is this stupid? And she said, yes. <laughs> but I felt Reb Zalman was present. I felt Reb Zalman wanted us to go. So we went to the back roads and we wind up in a car wash in East Jerusalem where someone who is her connection at the high school is going to meet us at the car wash and, and take us in behind the army because the army isn't letting people in at that moment. And we make our way and we can see a riot a couple of blocks, maybe 200 yards away there's a riot happening. And because we're with these people, we're safe. And they bring us into this morning tent. And I'll save the rest of the story for later, but it was incredible. It was incredible to be in one day in two nechamot, in two comfortings, as it were. This Shabbat is called Shabbat Nachamu. It is called the Shabbat of comforting after the first line of chapter 40 of the book of Isaiah, which always takes place on the Shabbat after Tisha B'Av. And after Tisha B'Av, the ninth day of Av, the saddest day in the Jewish calendar, what we need is nechama. What we need is comforting. What we need is divrei piyurus, words of, of hope, of promise, of something. So the prophet screamed, nachamu, maybe he whispered it, nachamu, nachamu, ami, or maybe as Shlomala would have sung it, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, Yomar Elokeichem, Dabru Alev Yerushalayim, Vekiru Elecha. Nachamu, Nachamu, comforted, be comforted, said Isaiah. And as the rabbis point out, a double comforting. We were in pain, suffered, kiflaim in verse 2, and we were given two nechamot, two comfortings. But there might not be any comfort this Shabbat for the families 
of all of those soldiers who have died during this conflict. There might not be any comforting this Shabbat for the families of all of the innocent Gazan civilians who have been killed. But what are we to do? How do we, how do we pick up the mantle of Elijah? How do we, how do we raise up a nechama? Yeah, you with me? How do we find comfort this Shabbos? Tomorrow we will read an incredible parsha. Parsha Dvayet Hanan, the second of the parshiot in the book of Deuteronomy, in the book of Devarim, is chock full of incredible verses, incredible moments. You all know one of the verses. Einod Milvado, we sing it here at Romamu. There's no God but God. There's nothing but that reality. The Shema is in tomorrow's reading. And let's not forget that small item called the Ten Commandments that will also appear tomorrow. But we won't go there. We'll go just to the beginning of the parsha. said Moses, retelling the story. I prayed to God at that moment, asking, Adonai Elohim, you God began to show me your greatness, your who is like you, O great one, says Moses in words of, of compliment, of shvach to God, of praising. And then the request, the bakasha in verse 25 tomorrow morning. Moses pleads with God and says, Please, I beg you, the word na, please, I beg you, God, I would like to go over to that good land on the other side of the Jordan. But God was vayit aber, that word will come back to in a moment. God was angry with me because of you. God gives Moses the sumerial, this, this, this parental enough. I said what I said, it's enough. You will not enter the land. I don't want to talk about it any longer. My answer is no. This is our first nechama. This is the first comfort. Because God's no is a turning of a page. Because God says no here to Moses and says to him, what is done is done. Leave it. It's over. Your desire to fix the past, your desire to go backwards, to reclaim Moshe, it works sometimes, but in this instance, it is over. I've heard enough, God says. Dan Byrne has a great song that our friend Marion sent to Jonathan and I, and, and I want to quote this Dan Byrne song. And it's one of Dan Byrne's serious songs. He said, I met God on the edge of town where the wind meets the stillness, where the darkness meets the light, where the ocean meets the sky, where the desert meets the rain, where the earth meets the heavens on the edge of town, I met God. I asked God, do one thing for me. Send me back in time. Send me to Seattle. Let me go find Kurt Cobain. Take away his gun. 
Take away his bullets and talk to him. Make him want to live. Tell him how we love him. Help him see his glory. God said, no. If I sent you back, if you really found him, you would only ask him if he could help you get a deal. If he knows a lawyer, if he can help you, God says, no. Nechama, nechama, nechama. God says no to Moshe. You can't go back, Moshe. And going back won't help you go forward. It won't help you. It won't help you. And then God gives Moshe his second nechama. And this nechama I'm taking with me tonight and tomorrow and every day of this week and every day of the next year and years until God says to Moshe, Vayit Aber. And the Hasidic masters struggle with this word. It sounds like God's angry, but it also sounds like the word in Hebrew, Ibur, which means pregnant. And all of the Hasidic masters say that God impregnated Moses. Vayit Aber Adonai B. God gave me, made me pregnant, Moshe says. And then God does an amazing thing. He brings Moses up and he says to him, see the land. See the land as far as you can see it because you won't go in it, but you can see it with your eyes. You, Moshe, who are pregnant with divine compassion, with divine love, you can see the land. And I want to argue with you tonight. This is one of Moses' teachings to us. I've never seen it said anywhere, but I'm telling you, I think this is part of what Moses will go on to say. It says, it, this is as much a teaching for Moses as Shema and the Ten Commandments. Moses says, I had to stay out and only see the land. I had to be at a distance from the land to teach all of you that entering into the land is not the final stage of acquiring the land. Longing for the land, the true land. Longing to see the land, to see the true land, the promised land, the land that could be. Philosopher Micha Goodman, one of my close friends, I gotta tell you a story about Micha Goodman. Micha Goodman is 40 years old, he lives in Israel, he has two twin daughters. He's one of the most well-known philosophers in Israel. And in Israel, you can become famous as a Jewish philosopher. <laughs> so he's a shtickle of a famous philosopher. He's a little bit of a famous philosopher. He's written two bestsellers, if you can believe it, one on the Rambam and one on the Kuzari, two medieval philosophical texts, a bestseller. <laughs> one of the most poignant moments in the entire trip was when Micha came to teach us about the Moron of Uchim, about the guide for the perplexed, one day. And I came into the lunchroom in the institute where I was in Jerusalem, and Micha was quickly eating, but he was frazzled. He's a very energetic, amazing guy. And I said, Micha, what's going on? He says, Karu Oti. I said, Karu Otcha, what is... He shows me his phone, he says, I've been called up. This was in the second week of the war. And we walked slowly upstairs, thinking about what it would be like for him now to go home and tell his wife and his two five-year-old girls that he's going to Gaza. 
We cried with him. We sent him home. We said, Micha, go home. And thank God, thank God, that night his platoon was, was called back and he didn't have to serve. And Micha said to us something that I'll never forget. He said that Jewish history, the Bible itself, is a record of our failure, not a record of our triumph. When Ben-Gurion stood in front of the Peel Commission and held up the, ta- the Tanakh, the Bible, and said, our claim to the land is based upon this book, Micha, who serves in the army. He said, Ben-Gurion made a mistake. Because to hold up the Bible is to hold up the record of our inability to hold on to the land. To hold up the Bible is to say, this is a document of our failure to live up to the promise of the promised land. He says the Bible begins with two exodus, one out of Egypt and one out of Babylonia. And the end of the Bible, the end of the book of Kings, has us going into exile into Babylonia with the Babylonians, Mesopotamia, and back to Egypt. The Bible ends with a challenge. And Moses is that challenge. Moses stands unburied. We don't know where he is. He's at the precipice of entering the land to tell us you're always to enter the land. You're always to dream and to hope of that land. Our hope is not lost. As long as we recognize that we have so much further to go and there's so many places that need healing and equality and love and compassion. Moshe sees the land and his teaching to us is God impregnated me with compassion and told me, look from a distance. Yearn for that land. Rav Nachman of Breslov has a story. And like all of Rav Nachman's stories, I want you to hear this. It's, I'm gonna, it's gonna be short because it's a long story. <laughs> Rav Nachman, the great-grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, said something that I'll never forget either. He had a parable, he said, in his famous story, The Seven Beggars, where he said, that everything in the world has a heart. And the heart itself of the world is the world itself has a heart. And the heart of the world, he said, is on one mountain. It's a crazy story, right? The heart of the world is on one mountain. And across the way, on another mountain, there's a stream. And the heart longs to unite with the stream, said Rav Nachman. Don't try to figure out what he's talking about exactly. And there's a valley between the two of them. And Rav Nachman said in his parable, as long as the heart can see the stream, the heart is alive. But if the heart were to lose sight of the stream for even one second, then the heart would cease to be. And here's the paradox. In order to unite with the stream, the heart has to go down from its mountain. And at some point in the valley between the two mountains, the heart will lose sight of the stream. In order to unite with the stream, the heart has to risk dying. It can't get there. It can't unite. And so what keeps it alive is longing for that thing it can't ever arrive at. 
And the only way to arrive at it would be to, be, to tolerate losing sight of that dream for a moment, but knowing that as we lose sight of it, it's still there. That's Rav Nachman's paradox. How do we unite with that vision of the promised land if entering it, by definition, helps us lose the vision of the promised land? That's where we are, everybody. But I have nechama. I have nechama. I am comforted. I am doubly comforted. Because God said, no. We're not going back to yesterday and last week and last month and all the way back in Jewish history and in Palestinian history. We are looking forward. We are looking towards the second nechama. We are looking towards the second comforting which comes with a vista, with a hope, with what David Grossman said is the remembrance of the future. We can see it. We know where to go. We need to fight against despair. So I have my own prayer tonight. On this evening of consolation and yet more insanity, I want to ask you, God, do one thing for me. I want to go back to each and every moment of mistrust, each and every moment of pain, each and every moment before, and hold all of them. I want to be with the terrified brothers and sisters in the bomb shelters in Shterot and in Atshtod. I want to hold the faces in the hands of every soldier like Liel and Benya and Hadar as they face the violence and terror of war. I want to bring close to my body all of those children in Gaza. Like 10-year-old Ibrahim Dawawsa, who was killed this morning playing near a mosque as his mother fried the chicken livers for him. I want to go there and I want to hold all of them. But I know what you will say to me. You'll tell me that there's no going back. I don't agree, but I'm comforted because I have to look forward. And so I accept your refusal to undo what came before. But please, God, let me see the land this Shabbos. Please let all of us see the land that seems so far off. Keep our longing alive in us and support our acceptance of your no so that we can turn towards what could be. I want to tell you all that underneath all of this is the awareness that, God willing, in eight years from now, this will be my eldest son's bar mitzvah portion. And I want to dream of what that world will feel like with him. I want to dream of what? What will it take? No more justifications. No more violence. No more insanity. We're not going to go forward unless we get it together. Together. So tonight, thank you, Rib Zalman. And thank you 
for inviting us into a double nechama, a dumpful comforting. A comforting for, for us Jews and a comforting for our cousins, the Palestinians. May this year be the last year that we need such a double comforting. Amen. I